Welcome to Beyond Toast, episode 12, All You Need Is Love. Welcome to Beyond Toast. I'm Mike Weston, and this is the podcast where Toastmasters indulge their two greatest passions, food and language. And I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. Butter by Elizabeth Alexander. My mother loves butter more than I do, more than anyone. She pulls chunks off the stick and eats it plain, explaining cream spun around into butter. Growing up, we ate turkey cutlets sautéed in lemon and butter, butter and cheese on green noodles, butter melting to small pools in the hearts of Yorkshire puddings, butter better than gravy staining white rice yellow, butter glazing corn and slipping squares, butter the lava in white volcanoes of hominy grits, butter softening in a white bowl to be creamed with white sugar. Butter disappearing into whipped sweet potatoes with pineapple. Butter melted and curdy to pour over pancakes. Butter licked off the plate with warm alaga syrup. When I picture the good old days, I am grinning greasy with my brother, having watched the tiger chase his tail and turn into butter. We are Mumbo and Jumbo's children, despite historical revision. Despite our parents' efforts, glowing from the inside out, 100 megawatts of butter. A great celebration there of butter's role as a lubricator of childhood. And who's going to help make this episode run smoothly this week? Now it's time to introduce this week's guest, and that's Dorothy Miller. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Very lovely to have you. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Mike, I am from the outskirts of Vancouver, British Columbia. I was born and raised here, and I am truly a Canadian. I love the fact that I come from a family of seven children, plus mom and dad, because that has been a big part of molding who I am. I'm number six in the lineup. So my challenges were quite different than my older siblings' challenges. But nonetheless, I'm happy to be where I am. And I am also happy to say that I was fortunate enough to marry my childhood sweetheart, who is the love of my life. Together, we have five children who are all adults, and we have six grandchildren. Now, I mentioned that because that's a big part of my journey to where I am here today. Because I've spent about 30 years raising my children, and towards the end of that journey, I started to think about what's next for me. And in part, that is how I came to be a Toastmaster. I was interested always in my own personal growth, in being more than what I currently am. And so here I am as a Toastmaster now for seven years, and I love the journey that I have taken and I continue to take. Fantastic. So do you have a sizable clan if you're one of eight children and you've got five children in your own? Family gatherings must be quite a spectacle. It actually was in the past. Mom and dad are both passed away now, and 
uh, sadly to say, not all of my siblings are as interested in family as I am, although I am very close to one of my sisters who lives close to me. However, my husband is also one of nine children. And so his family is also big. And I would say we spend a great deal of time with his family. A typical family gathering is 70 people. That's quite impressive. I have to say, coming from a very small family, I could probably fit my own family in there ooh, 14 times and, <laughs> and still have space left over. <laughs> sure. The fact you were number six, your parents were aiming for perfection and got pretty close towards the ends. They most certainly did. I agree with you there. They definitely put the work in, which is good to see. So you've got yourself involved in Toastmasters to define your life as you've gone throughout. But what is it that's really drawn you towards it? You know, Mike, my entrance into Toastmasters was a bit unique. A childhood friend of mine, her dad was a Toastmaster. Now, I spent a lot of time at their house, and I was constantly in conversation with him because he was really good at conversation. But he never directly talked about Toastmasters. And as I became an adult, I started to connect and he started to talk about Toastmasters and how it had changed his life. In 2013, he passed away. At his service, there were a vast number of Toastmasters. And I had told him over the years that, oh yeah, I'll attend a meeting one day three months after his death, I decided I'm going because I told him that I would. I can say that I've never looked back. I found a real gem in Toastmasters. Langley Toastmasters 2743 is that initial home club that I am a part of still today. So that was the passion that took me there. It's amazing how things turn out when you don't know. I had no idea this was going to happen to me. I was a pretty good speaker at the time, or rather I should say, I wasn't afraid of speaking like so many are. I have always been a real chatterbox. What I, the first thing that I learned was that my listening skills needed a great deal of attention. It's the same as anything, isn't it? If you use a muscle, it gets stronger and better. So yes, if you talk all the time, you can be very strong at talking, but it does tend to be the other side of atrophies. That's true. I would also like to touch, Mike, on uh, recently what has happened to me. So Toastmaster for seven years now, and I was really keen on finding this distinguished Toastmaster status. So last year, I connected with a few other people who were interested in building a new Toastmasters club. That journey is one that has allowed me to become a distinguished Toastmaster, and I am proud to say that I am co-founder with four other people of Unicorn Tribe Toastmasters Club in Richmond, British Columbia. Because unicorns are unique. We do things very uniquely. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask where the name came from. I set up a club up in Inverness and I can absolutely reflect on that as well in the sense the members are rare creatures. It's finding those lumps of gold amongst that fast flowing river picking them up and making something wonderful out of them. You only have one or two people, but those one or two people can make a room just liven up. And then that just means more people come, more people come, and then that's the, the Toastmasters magic. So congratulations on the DTM and congratulations on the, on the club. I, I hope it goes from strength to strength. Absolutely. We're on a good start. Starting off strong, always a good place to be. 
but particularly starting off strong when you're heading towards something. And, and when you're heading towards something, you're usually driven by a passion, passion and interest, which leads us to our first segment, favourite food memory. What's the, the food memory that sits at the back of your mind? Is that that steering wheel, the steering wheel driving your choices and making you think, oh, yes, yes, let's do that. Let's choose that this time. Dorothy, what's your favourite food memory? take you back to 1986. I remember the day. My husband and I had a newborn baby and we took a vacation to central Canada in Ontario. We were visiting towns in that area that had historical bridges. The ones that are covered in particular and there's a number in Ontario. So we were visiting a, one of these little towns, Alora, Ontario, and there was this magnificent bridge. And while we were there, we stopped in at this quaint little cafe. Like we're in the country. I have a sweet tooth. I've always had a sweet tooth. We go in and my eye is drawn to this magnificent looking cheesecake. It is a typical looking New York style cheesecake, only it has raspberries in it, not on top of it, but in it. I could see on the edges of the cheesecake, those raspberries sitting in there. And I said to my husband, oh, I want that one. I savored that piece of cheesecake, every morsel. And to this day, 2020, that is my favorite food memory. No other cheesecake that I've had can measure up to that one. Now, that may be incorrect, but that's what I choose to remember and believe. That was the best cheesecake I had ever had. That is the joy of memories. It doesn't matter if they're false, as long as they can take you back, as long as you can, you can recreate that feeling, and as long as it provides that benchmark. But the problem is, yes, as you say, you're never going to get there. But if, as long as you keep trying, as long as it encourages you to <laughs> try that next cheesecake, try another slice, maybe try a different one. It encourages you and drives you forward. Mike, I have made lots of cheesecakes over the years. And even I will admit that I have not produced one as good as that one. <laughs> but it's also a challenge doing it at home. There is, I'm sure, and I could be wrong on this, but there's definitely a switch in my mind that if I'm cooking something at home, it doesn't matter how lovely it is, how much butter I put in, how lovely the ingredients are, how much time and attention and care I put in. The effort I put in just subtracts away from my enjoyment from it. If I'm cooking for someone else, it isn't important because that's why I'm cooking for them. I'm cooking for someone else and the love I put into it, I get the love back in spades. But if I'm cooking for myself, I can never really recoup that. So going out and eating something is always so much better because, again, you're not putting the effort in and you're getting someone else's love and attention. And I think that's always going to be a problem. I mean, no matter how accomplished a cook you are, it's always going to be easier and it's always going to be more enjoyable just to sit back and, and let someone else's effort just flow over you. I think you've hit on a really important point. I had never really analyzed it in that way. And I think you're correct. 
chalk one up for you. Cheesecake by Faith Trexon When your soul is listless, wan and weary, and you know not what to do, you need a lift, a comfort zone, to sink and curl into. You need something to nurture you, to heal your tired heart. Something soothing, something soft, a begin, a fresh new start. And so I tried some chocolate, no good, it's way too sweet. And then I tried a cup of tea, but I just can't take the heat. I read somewhere that baking is wholesome, good and fun. And so I thought I'd bake a cake, and perhaps please someone. A chocolate cake is way too rich, it's so done and quite a bore. And so I ventured into cheesecakes, rich in comfort lore. I crushed some biscuits tenderly, and formed a buttery base, and blended eggs and cottage cheese in an anticipatory haze. And as I plucked it from the heat, my heart all filled with glee, blushing gold and all aglow, like the sun beneath the sea. It cut like butter, soft but firm, just like we should be. Eyes closed I sat and ate it up, knees curled underneath me. I nearly purred in complete bliss as it passed my eager lips, as it crept into my hungry heart and settled gently on my hips. Cheesecake, a lovely choice. Kind of close to that comfort food area, which leaves me kind of almost gasping for a transition here. Normally, when we go through this section, there's usually some easy transition to go to, a nice segue to go into comfort food, but you've already come up with something which I would say is, is quite comforting. So, if I was to say, if some terrible event happened, and all the cheesecake in the world was removed in a flash, and you were left with nothing else to turn to, which comfort food might you choose? I would be in tears. So let's see, a comfort food for me, other than cheesecake, would probably be popcorn. You know, I have had this amazing connection to popcorn which I will admit is not a healthy one because I love the butter on popcorn. And corn's not particularly good for us in the way that it's been genetically modified today. But if I am really feeling like I want to just snuggle in with my jammies and feel sorry for myself or get over something, I will make a large bowl of popcorn and devour it. So are you traditionalist? Do you have the pan and the stirrer on the stove? Or are you a kind of a microwave? Or are you one of these people who's got the fancy machine that can actually do it without getting too much oil in it? You bring up an excellent point because it makes a big difference how you make popcorn. Well, I am grateful to have grown up with popcorn being made on the stove in a heavy pot. You pour the oil in the bottom until it sizzles and splatters. You put one kernel in, wait for that kernel to pop, poof, it goes out of the pot, and then you put the popcorn in. Now you've got a heavy enough pot, and by the way, you're cooking on a gas stove because that's the only way to make popcorn. You give it a few shakes and you just stand back and enjoy the aroma of the popcorn. And then the moment it has stopped popping. Of course, you have the bowl ready. You remove the lid. And as you remove the lid, some of it sticks to the top and you pour it all into your bowl. Oh, 
I think I'm going to make popcorn today. I Love the Look of Words by Maya Angelou Popcorn leaps, popping from the floor of a hot black skillet and into my mouth. Black words leap, snapping from the white page, rushing into my eyes, sliding into my brain, which gobbles them, the way my tongue and teeth chomp the buttered popcorn. When I have stopped reading, ideas from the words stay stuck in my mind, like the sweet smell of butter perfuming my fingers long after the popcorn is finished. I love the book and the look of words, the weight of ideas that popped into my mind. I love the tracks of new thinking in my mind. After that description, I'm thinking, yeah, I think I do have some kernels stashed away in the back of a cupboard, and now would be a good night to do it. It's cold and wet outside, and that would be very much that, that comforting mm, taste of the summer. The cold and wet is the perfect time for popcorn. Oh, definitely. So what would you have with it? Are you a, a butter or a sweet or a savoury sort of person? Well, Mike, I started out butter and salt. That was my thing, butter and salt. And then along the way, we met some people who did popcorn a little bit different. When they made popcorn, they did not use butter. They sprinkled the popcorn with soy sauce of all things. And then once it was covered enough with soy sauce so that it looks brown, then they sprinkled Parmesan cheese on the top of their popcorn and mixed it all up. And I tell you one taste of that and I went, oh, I could definitely do this. Now, to me, that's a treat. I won't have that every time I have popcorn because the calories have to be huge with all that. Although I'm not sure butter is much different. But that is definitely a treat for me to have that kind of popcorn. So typically it's either butter or the soy sauce and Parmesan cheese. I would have to say the soy sauce sounds fantastic. I mean, that saltiness, that richness of flavor, and then the cheese. And if you've listened to any of the podcasts, you know that I'm all about the cheese. <laughs> I am sold on that. So I, I will definitely be trying that the next time I make some popcorn. Cheesecake, who cares? We've got popcorn from this point on, and it's even got cheese in it. So yes, <laughs> we're scoring all the points here on this comfort food. And you see, Mike, I think I'm actually balancing between the sweet and the savory. Cheesecake and popcorn, I'm going to both ends of it. Absolutely, yeah. You're finding a lovely middle ground and establishing just yourself a, a nice stronghold of good solid flavors, which is what I like to see. And something else I like to see is Mike's Eat of the Week. And this week's Eat of the Week is more a Eat of the Month. And I have chosen a humble Scotch egg. For those of you not familiar with the stalwart of the pub menu and the picnic campaign, it's a boiled egg wrapped in sausage meat, covered in breadcrumbs and deep fried. I suppose that's where the Scottish connection comes from. Given their inherent simplicity, I would have thought it unlikely that I would be recommending them as an eat of the week, but this has not been a normal week, or even month. I don't wish to go into detail, as that would be delving into self-pity and fishing for sympathy. But suffice it to say, the last fortnight where I was unable to open my jaw and forced to subsist on a diet of soup and yoghurt provided me with a fresh appreciation of the simpler things in life 
the things that we so often take for granted. In this case, a simple scotch egg. This would normally have been the sort of thing I would have gone through in a couple of mouthfuls and barely acknowledged. But after two weeks of the less fun kind of liquid diet, my first solid food was a whole new experience. I was forced into gnawing off little bits like a small mouse, and each small bite made me more and more acutely aware of the different flavours and textures, the unctuous oiliness of the breadcrumbs, the rich, spicy meatiness of the sausage meat, the smooth, subtle resistance of the egg white, and the satisfying crumbliness of the yolk, all combining to make something so familiar, something fresh, invigorating and new. Now, while I wouldn't wish a similar experience on anyone, it goes to show that revisiting an old favourite with a new perspective can be a whole new experience. Dorothy, it's now time for your fantasy meal for four. And this is your opportunity to meet with three guests anywhere in the world. And those guests can be anyone alive, living, dead, even fictional characters. So you get to bring them together. You get to go somewhere you want to eat and you get to choose what food. So, Dorothy, who would they be? Where would you go? And what would you eat? What an opportunity. My first guest will have to be my husband. We have been together since we were 12 years old. And I love spending every minute with him. So I am definitely taking him on my fantasy meal for four. My next guest is going to be Tom Hanks. Now, Mike, I think most people are familiar with Tom Hanks. Let me tell you why. I don't know a lot about Tom Hanks' personal life. I only know him as an actor. I have enjoyed every movie that Tom Hanks has been in. And I believe that that is because I see him as an ethical person. He chooses roles that don't compromise his own beliefs. And I really see this in the fact that you will never see Tom Hanks in a romantic bedroom scene that gets carried away. I love that about him. I don't know a lot of other things about him, but I respect him for that part of his acting career. So Tom is going to be at my table. Now the next person is rather unusual, I think. I remember listening to a radio show of Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Now, she may not be known to a lot of people, but she's a psychologist and has had a radio talk show for over 30 years. So she's definitely been around. I used to listen to her when my children were younger. On her radio program, she would counsel people. They would phone in with scenarios of what's happening in their life, and she would counsel them. I respect her because she too is very ethical. 
and she's really direct. If you ask her a question, she tells you straight out what her answer is. Mincing no words, this is what you want to do. You asked me, I'm telling you, this is what you should do. And it's always very ethical and moral. So again, someone that I respect, those qualities who will follow that path in their life and not let those external sources take them off track. So they are going to be my guests, three guests, my husband Leonard, Tom Hanks, and Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Where will we go? Well, I mentioned that we live in Vancouver, which is the west coast of Canada. And I believe that we have the most beautiful place in the world. My husband and I have done a fair amount of travel. We are so glad we live here. So I am taking Tom Hanks, or Dr. Laura Schlesinger and Leonard, to a fishing lodge off the coast of Vancouver Island. Why? Because my husband loves to fish and I love to be near the water. I also like seafood. We are going to go fishing and catch our dinner. Let's see, some cod. I don't know if you've had Pacific cod, but it is fabulous. Pacific shrimp, which is amazing. Imagine shrimp covered in butter. Now you mentioned that you love butter. Oh, cheese. We could sprinkle some cheese on there too. And then of course we're on the West Coast. So we have a plate full of greens and colorful vegetables, really healthy. And then the conversation is going to be about our morals or ethics. What's going right in the world and where do we want to continue to go in that direction? This opportunity to have dinner with these four people is going to be so invigorating to sit at a table and share West Coast food, vegetables, greens. Oh, we've got some amazing wines that we make here in the West. A nice big glass of wine with them. And the conversation will be amazing. That sounds absolutely fantastic. You've got the, the ethical boxes ticked, ticked, ticked and ticked again. Tom Hanks, well known for his strong ethical stances. Dr. Laura Slater, fantastic position on ethics that she takes and all of our discussions and podcasts and various other materials. The discussions you would have as you sit down in an ethical environment, eating ethical food that's just from up the road. I mean, this is just a wonderful statement that you're making. And the fact that you bringing your husband along, you share it with him, you can have crossways discussions with both guests, take them off and have broader discussions. This is wonderful. You have picked two people that you can have a discussion with in an environment that you can actually get to grips with things without it getting bogged down by this is a bit too posh or put too much effort into this. You've taken away all of those distractions and just have two people to focus upon. That is absolutely a lovely way of doing it. I only wish I could secure an invite as well, except that I think the, the carbon miles to get over, I'm not sure we could quite justify. <laughs> it is fantasy, Mike. Anything is possible. Could visualize a plane that flies without using any greenhouse gases, and I'll hopefully visualize myself to get there. As I get there, I'm secure there will be a space because at every dinner party, there is always a moment where one of the guests wanders into that territory where they shouldn't go those taboo subjects, talking about sex, politics, or religion, 
And unfortunately, you know, while you have made all the right ethical choices, the odds were stacked against you. Something had to go wrong at some point and you've fallen in this one moment, this one point of weakness. You've just slightly took your eye off the ball and have wandered into those subjects. So which subject would you discuss and why? Mike, sex, religion and politics are all very interesting. And as you know, at Toastmasters, those are not topics that we cover at all. I think I would probably go to the politics one. I know that Dr. Laura Schlesinger and Tom Hanks are American and we are Canadian. So there's quite a bit of political differences between us, especially right now in this world that we're living in. Oh my goodness. I would bring up politics. I'm always interested to know where people are coming from in their politics. I will not get into an argument with them because really I am not a political person. I cannot give you all of the details and the stances of where our country even stands, but I'm curious about where other people are coming from. We have more in common than we, than we realize. And sometimes we let that political title get in the way of us actually just being who we are. I would have to agree. It's so often that people who share so many similarities and thoughts and opinions get into politics and it's just one small thing, just one small thing that they fall out on and that can completely destroy a relationship. And it's insane because you're right, if we just stopped, listened and just didn't feel that we had to convince everyone that we're all the same, if we just accepted that we can be different and being different is a positive thing and the fact that someone thinks different from us doesn't make our thoughts and opinions any less, it would be a better place. I, I think you're right. I think listen, think, put your own points forward and just leave it at that. We would have a lot to talk about in this day and age with the US president and the, the Canadian prime minister. We would have quite the lively conversation. Given that you've got quite an, an ethical group, I feel there would be quite a lot of common ground. So I think that while there would be a, a lot to discuss, I, I think you're probably in kind of quite safe territory and would have some eye-opening and enlightening discussions. That's for sure. Ethics by Linda Paston. In ethics class so many years ago, our teacher asked this question every fall. If there was a fire in a museum, which would you save? A Rembrandt painting or an old woman who hadn't many years left anyhow? Restless on hard chairs, caring little for pictures or old age, we'd opt one year for life, the next for art and always half-heartedly. Sometimes the woman borrowed my grandmother's face, leaving her usual kitchen to wander some drafty, half-imagined museum. One year, feeling clever, I replied, why not let the woman decide herself? Linda, the teacher would report, excuse the burdens of responsibility. This fall, in a real museum, I stand before a real Rembrandt, Old woman, or nearly so myself. The colours within this frame are darker than autumn, darker even than winter. The browns of earth, though earth's most radiant elements burn through the canvas. I know now that woman and painting and season are almost one, and all beyond the saving by children. As I mentioned, my husband and I have done a fair amount of travel, and politics seems to be a hard thing for people to talk about. And maybe it's just out of ignorance. I know for me, I'm definitely ignorant when it comes to politics, but I'm curious as well. 
why are we arguing? Just let's just share ideas. It's this strange idea that if you're talking to someone, there has to be a winner. It can't just be a sharing of information. It's this idea of if I'm saying something, I have to come out on top. And I don't, I don't know where that's come from. But yes, you're right. You, you talk to someone about politics and it's a case of the, they can't just say, this is what I think. It's a case of, this is what I think. You have to agree with me. You have to see that I'm right and you have to acknowledge my position. And it's strange. We've got a huge wide world. The same politics aren't going to work all around the world. There's so many different cultures, so many different ways of looking at things. There's always going to have to be different ways of dealing with these problems and new solutions and different ways of looking at things. Yes, I think you're right. Politics is a, a good place to start. But being right doesn't matter because in this case, as I said, in these discussions, it's not about being right. It's not about being in that position of strength. It is about having transgressed and you've done the unforgivable. You've talked about one of the subjects that cannot be talked about. There is only one punishment that's fit for that. And you're being cast out from this fabulous dinner party. You had a good time, so don't get too distraught. But there's probably a really nice chat over the after dinner mints and maybe some peritifs at the end. You're going to have to miss that as you're cast out into the night. You're alone. You're lost. You have to make your own way home. What guilty pleasure might you turn to? to admit this my guilty pleasure hands down is chocolate i i actually have said out loud i wish i didn't like chocolate as much as i do i would find a reason to eat chocolate at any time during the day i don't even have to be guilty but definitely when i am struggling i would go to chocolate and and really I will stoop as low as eating chocolate chips right out of the bag. Isn't that awful? However, I do love to bake. I love to bake chocolate things. I have a few recipes that are now standard for me. So if I was wanting a guilty pleasure, I would go into the kitchen and I would start creating a couple of chocolate desserts that would, I might even sit down and eat the whole pan. I'm a little concerned here that you might have got yourself thrown out on purpose. Just, <laughs> obviously, the listeners can't see this, but the look on your face as you were discussing the chocolate, that hand action as you were just picking up those chocolate chips, I think that you would get yourself thrown out on purpose just so that you could justify some chocolate to yourself. Am I right? Well, hey, you maybe have planted a seed there, Mike. Chocolate Addiction, My Affliction by Carmela Patterson Mooney. Oh, she the tease, be assured, chocolate fairy had me lured, bane of sweets I have endured, ten pound weight gain moored. Hershey's kiss is where bliss is, Lady Godiva I shall not dismiss, raisinettes, rocher, all of this, if not mentioned, I be remiss. Chocoholic, I'm surely addicted. If there's none, I'm sorely afflicted. Not one to which I'm constricted. To hot chocolate, I am convicted. Add a little peanut butter. Oh boy, my tongue's lapping up in pure joy. Feisty fairy is tempting to employ every evil trick my diet to destroy. 
chocolate is absolutely one of those guilty pleasures that's very difficult to escape from. I've tried to get sugar entirely out of my diet, but I can't get through the day without a small block of 100% chocolate just to kind of give myself that little rush. In those moments of guilty pleasure, I usually don't share them with my husband. I think that gets me onto more solid ground here because I was concerned I couldn't see much in the way of guilt at any point. But the fact that you've <laughs> you're, the fact that you're actually hiding it away from your husband makes me a little bit more secure that there there is some remorse, there is some small speck of guilt hiding in amongst all that chocolatey pleasure. Dorothy, thank you very much for all those answers. Were absolutely brilliant, so engaging. Really love listening to you. Been a fantastic guest. So getting towards the close of the episode, is there anything you'd like to to promote this opportunity? The one thing that I would like to share with your listeners is how Toastmasters has very creatively and effectively meshed communication and leadership. And I've mentioned that because I'm currently a division director for our district. And once you start saying yes to leadership opportunities, you start to feel different about how you can help other people achieve their goals. A lot of people go into Toastmasters because they're afraid of speaking or they would like to speak better, not knowing that the next step is actually giving back, being a leader who can lead other people to feeling that success as well. That is my experience for sure, that I now truly can say I am a leader and I love serving other people so that they can achieve their goals. Yeah resonates with me for the very first time I stepped into Toastmasters 12 years ago you could feel that in the atmosphere and it's just provided opportunity after opportunity just to take a leading position but help other people and just feel good about doing that feel good about developing yourself developing your own skills but also helping out others along the way without having to really go out of the way or try and mold them into anything other than themselves and that's and I think it's that joy it's that ability to help people just become better versions of themselves. I can't think of many things in this world that allow you to do that. Absolutely. Saying yes when you don't know how to do something. In the Toastmasters environment, it is so safe to do that because we all have each other's backs. I chose to say yes to so many opportunities that I had no idea what I was getting into. And When I came to the other side of it, I was so grateful that I said yes, because I learned along the way. I was just about to say, and I'm so glad that you said yes to coming on to this episode. It has absolutely made my evening. You've been such a wonderful guest, such thoughtful responses and such easy delivery. A great example of what a DTM can deliver. Why, thank you, Mike. That sadly brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate, review or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the readings, then do please check out the poet's other work. If you have any comments or feedback, then please do get in touch either through email at info at beyondtoast.uk or via Twitter at beyond underscore toast underscore UK. So it's goodbye from me and from our guest. It was nice being here, Mike, and all the success on your journey on your podcast. Thank you very much. And I hope you join us next time for another episode of Beyond Toast. Beyond Toast.